Over the past year, we've leveraged Vistaprint services to help us on our mission to inspire entrepreneurs of color. They've helped us print stickers, t-shirts, tote bags, mugs, and even snapback hats. Yes, they print just about everything. My point is, they print a lot more than just business cards. So as you look for ways to help your small business stand out, think Vistaprint. The printabilities are endless at vistaprint.com. I was able to close around during this weird time in America and the world within three and a half months. Three and a half months? And what was this round? Like, and rounds a total amount of money you wanted to raise. The million dollar pre-seed. You closed a million dollars never having raised money before in three months. Mm -hmm. And I met around no more than like 35 investors. But I feel like when I get feedback, like I, I pride myself on being coachable. Mm. You know what I mean? Like. If you give me feedback, I'm gonna take that to heart so and I can do better it. and that's so that I can get what I want. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. obviously I there's a level of discernment that I have to have. Yeah. However, but if you're an investor, you know what I mean? Like I'm gonna listen to you, the investor. Right, because if you're an investor, I should be receiving your feedback. What's going on, Claim of Stories listeners? This episode does contain some discussions around drug use, struggles with mental health, as well as abuse. So if you or anyone else you know struggles with depression, please call Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Hotline at 1-800-622-HELP. I'm Bima, and on today's show, we have Brittany Chavez, a Guatemalan, Nicaraguan entrepreneur born and raised in L.A. Now, Brittany was an empathetic theater kid who grew up with a single mom and a grandmother. Brittany has always been able to put herself in someone else's shoes and has been steeped in human connection with the influence of her mother and father. But when it came to school, she struggled and had a tough time engaging. At the same time, her relationships at home also struggled, from difficulties with her grandmother and mother to her father abusing drugs. The combination of these put Brittany in a deep depression, even spending some time in the hospital during her senior year of high school. But even then, Brittany looks back on that time as a major learning experience. After graduating from high school, she was outside, like five days a week outside, as a way to not sit with herself. But eventually, she grew tired of constantly partying, and with a little brother on the way, Brittany was determined to get her life together. Sick of the stale fluorescent lights of the corporate world, Brittany started to Uber and use the money to travel to Nicaragua and Guatemala, where she gained a whole new perspective and love for her culture. When she returned to L.A., as Trump's policies around immigration were running rampant, her pride turned to anger, and Brittany put her boots to the ground, protesting. Wanting to do more, she started promoting Latinx businesses online, and that was just the beginning of her journey to create Shop Latinx. In our conversation ahead, Brittany shares her story about growing up in L.A. I was really into the performing arts, 
Oh, so really? I was a theater, like theater? kid. Okay. So I was in musical theater, <laughs> and my mom and I, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment in North Hollywood. Mm-hmm. She was an admin assistant okay. at a few jobs. Yep. Um, I believe during this time she was temping, and then she worked at an architectural firm as um, admin assistant. Yep. So it was mostly during this time my grandma and my mom mm-hmm. taking care of me, um, picking me up after school, and wow. which was really interesting. In middle school I had... I never really hung out with like other Latinos. It was mostly uh, black and Jewish and white. Was that just because of what the neighborhood was or? I think, yeah, and also like the musical theater program. And what I found really interesting was like this duality between like how I presented myself in middle school. And then, you know, my grandma would pick me up Mm -hmm. in her Honda Accord with the rosary Mm -hmm. and, you know, very traditional, you know, I would, I don't speak Spanish, but I would communicate to her in English. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in, Spanish. in Spanish. No, in English, and she would respond in Spanish. Ah, okay, okay. And, um, you know, I'd go home. She'd make me beans and rice. Mm. You know, my mom would come pick me up, like, around 6. Yeah. I'd watch Oprah every day at 3 p.m. <laughs> in middle Oprah? school. I would really obsessed with <laughs> Oprah. I loved Lisa Ling. And mm-hmm. during this time, I wanted to be an investigative journalist. What inspired that? Was it like different segments of Oprah or was it like, cause there was a time where I felt like in that era, in the nineties, there were a lot of type of shows like investigative journalism or yeah. talk shows. And then some of these other kind of Well, I think during pieces. this time was also like early 2000s. Mm-hmm. What I really loved was I think their ability to like leverage their empathy. Mm. You know, I just loved the way that they would ask questions. I think I always loved the human connection that was why I was a theater kid. You know, I was able to embody different personas and be on the stage. I loved it on stage. And, (laughs) you know, I think being able to talk to people is something that I really loved. Mm. You know, my mom was also like a huge empath. You know, she just has this like magnetic energy about her. Mm. Oh my God, I'm gonna like cry over my mom. But- um, It's okay, it's okay. And I think because of her, you know, like she, you know, she'd work in these corporate offices, but always make friends with the like Latino workers, yep. you know, the janitors. Yep. And my grandma was a housekeeper and worked at Kaiser as mm-hmm. a cleaning lady during the graveyard shift. And even my dad too, you know, he's uh, Nicaraguanse. Both my parents were, um, they met in the same apartment complex mm-hmm. in Koreatown off Beverly and Normandy. <laughs> They're products of single mothers that yep. immigrated from, my mom's mom immigrated from Guatemala. Mm-hmm. And then my dad's mom came here from Nicaragua. They met in high school. Um, it wasn't like a love story, <laughs> but they, they had me. They had so you. it was a love so story, because I am love. Yeah. So even my dad, you know, he worked at this film studio in Hollywood. It was called A&I. Okay. And he was really into photography. He taught himself. And mm. that's where, like, all the agents and, like, celebrities would go get their headshots printed for, like, oh, wow. auditions and all of that. That's so this awesome. was, like, early 2000s, yeah. just Hollywood. And, and your dad's, um, like, there. Yeah. Huh. And, um, you know, he just worked there. Yeah. And But I think with him, the way that he loved being behind the lens, Mm. you know, and and taking photos of me and taking photos of other people. And I think both of my parents did have that gift of like the human connection. And so going back to like Oprah and Lisa Ling, I'm like, oh, I can make a profession out of this, this. you know, and I want to do what they're doing. Um, And I want to meet people and I want to talk to them. (laughs) And so that was me in middle school. I was very inquisitive. I was also was in a lot of parent-teacher conferences, so I was very hmm. 
rebel, not, I wouldn't say rebellious, but I wasn't really good in school. Were you bored in school? I was bored. I think I was bored. I was antsy. I just didn't really like the teaching style. Like I like mm. to get in the weeds, you know? Like yeah, you want to learn, you want application. You I don't want, want application. someone just talking to you. And that's why I love being a founder. <laughs> it's like throw me, like push me off the diving yeah. board so I can swim. Yeah. And I feel like they don't do that in the school system. It's no, just it's read. one pace. It's Right. One pace, you know, and then I don't want to do homework as a kid. I want to, like, <laughs> cut earthworms into pieces. You know what I yeah, mean? And, like, yeah. play with my hands right. or, like, do that I want to do. And I feel like these kids, like, they're so deprived because we're here writing in packets and tracing letters and multiplying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I have a calculator for that, you yeah. know? I know how to, I can do that on my I can do right that, now. you know? Yeah. Like... So that was me as a kid. So this is happening. You're, you got your kind of your, your world going on. You're is somewhat engaged in school, but, you know, kind of getting into some things there. Yeah. Um, what was life like at home? What was life like with your, your parents? Life with my parents in middle school. Oof. Bima. Bima. It's okay. Um, Challenging. Well, thankfully. Yeah. Before I answer that question, I'm so grateful to have gone through healing my maternal wound, and I'm currently working through that yeah. abandonment yeah. wound with my father. Okay. Um, can we get a oh napkin? Oh my gosh, can, can we? we have BJ grab some Kleenex? Oh my God, I'm nervous struck. You're okay. Oh no, you don't Do need to apologize. Cry? We've had some crying. <laughs> no, you haven't. I'm the first. Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. You're not. You're fine. I promise. Okay, so do I answer the question? Yeah. Because I can answer yeah. the question. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, you're okay. This is your time, by the way. This is yeah. not, it's not about me. However you want to take this time is yours. Yeah, so my relationship with my parents in middle school, it was really hard. I felt very lonely and isolated. I felt... What was the driver of that isolation? Did you feel like they just didn't understand you? Were you the only child? Uh, yes, I was the oh, only child, so okay. that's one thing. I felt like... I was as well. <laughs> Hard it's shit. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I it's think a lot. also, too, like, you know, I talked to my mom, and it, what's so crazy is um, my mom actually remarried, and I have two little brothers. I'm 31, and my brothers are 11 and 7. Okay. And they will never experience the, mm. the Bonnie that I experienced. Yeah, a different person. Totally different person. And so I grew up with her. You know, like, I watched her develop into a woman. Mm. You know what I mean? And I saw her relationship with my father and how tumultuous that was and how much it affected her. You know what I mean? And I also come from a family that has experienced a lot of generational trauma, especially mm. on the maternal side. You know, like, it didn't just start with my mom it and... Was it was a learned behavior that traces back to my great-great-grandmother. You know what I mean? Of um, just abuse towards the daughters. Hmm. And so my grandmother, who also raised me, you know, granted, this is my mom's story to tell, but what I know is that, like, and what I've experienced and what I've seen is she wasn't super nice. And that's yeah. something that my mom and I, even post my grandmother's death, are still Had processing to together, yeah. you know? And so with my mom, granted she was young, but she didn't know what she didn't know. You yeah, know what I mean? She only she knew had, she observed. She got pregnant at 17, mm -hmm. had me, you know what I mean? Was abused by my father. Mm -hmm. 
and her mom. And I was born into that. So like even too, like experiencing anxiety in the womb, you know, heartache, anger, sadness. And then I come out and I'm a little curly headed ball of anxiety too, you know? Yeah. And my dad, um, it's okay. Oh my and God. let me know if we need to. It's okay if we need to take a break. Yeah. We can we can okay. do that. We I mean, can whatever, we can do a bathroom think, check. I whatever. Think, uh, I think I'm better. I think I'm better. <laughs> okay. And I also don't want you to be like, well, your makeup, and you're like, why didn't you oh tell me? Tell me, like BJ, tell me. <laughs> it's not that bad. I'm definitely red in the eyes, but I think I think I'm better now. I okay. think I'm better. Okay. So my dad, my dad was my best friend. Like. Mm. Like, that's who you related to. Like, who you that felt is, like that got was you. my role dog. Like, yeah. I love my dad. I still love my dad. Yeah. You know, he's he's alive. He and I haven't talked in about seven years. Okay. But um, we would do everything together. We had inside jokes. Like, he would put me on to new music. Like, we were just wow. so silly together. Like, yeah. with him, I felt like, like so. that you're my person, yeah. you know? So many memories in... Um, it was around middle school that I mean, he was always been on enough drugs in and out of jail. Mm. When I was a preteen, is when he started doing drugs, like hard drugs, and he started and coming did you, around. Did less. you know? Like you knew? Could you, as a kid, did you know he was different? In high school. Got it. Yeah, because by that time, those conversations are happening in high school. Probably a little bit in middle school, like hearsay. But in high school, there are more direct conversations about drugs and drinking and partying and stuff like that. You know what? I feel like he he managed to be normal mm-hmm. around me. And then it got to a point where his addiction consumed him. Hmm. And it, I started to see it. So I would spend every other weekend with him. And he was just getting skinnier. And, you know, mm-hmm. he picked me up from school. He'd be a little erratic. Mm-hmm. He got like, so my dad was on meth. Mm-hmm. And he got like, weirdly into the Bible and, like, the Matrix and, like, Donnie Darko and just, like, some weird hmm. shit. Yeah. And in high school, I started to, like, he would just be weird and, like, talk to me weird or, like, make me read excerpts of the Bible or, like, it was just so unlike him, yeah. you know, or, like, he would be like, oh, I'm going to go move the car. And I'm like, Dad, I'm scared. Like, he lives off Franklin and Hollywood by the police station. Like, oh. it's not a safe area. Yeah. And he wouldn't come back until like the next morning. And then when he came back, he would just like fall asleep on the couch. So I think that like going from having someone on like a pedestal and then being my best friend, my everything to seeing them right in front of me, just like deteriorate. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to see. It was a lot, you know? How do you help, right? And I I, I blamed myself. Like, I feel like I Mm. lost myself for a decade. For a decade, (laughs) trying to understand, like, why? Like, why did my dad leave? And I just, it consumed me. It consumed me, and it affected everything. Like, How did you, you're a teenager. Yeah, I'm a teenager. (laughs) Who did you go to? Like, who, were you able to go to your mom, your grandmother? Like, no. My grandmother ended up passing. Jeez. Yeah, so high school is really hard for me. Yeah, I'd um, say so. In my senior year, I was put into like a fifty-one fifty, <laughs> just crazy. <laughs> um, in high school. Yeah, I was really depressed, and I didn't have anyone to talk to. 
So what are you doing at 5150? Like, what is... Honestly, it was pretty cool looking yeah. back at it. Because I think what all of us... I, I was in a room with so many people from different walks of life. You know what I mean? Like, I was in there with a Native American, an Eastern European woman who was older, you know, a girl who just got out of a relationship with her boyfriend. And in order for us to eat breakfast, we had to have mandatory group therapy. And I think- In order to eat also, breakfast, you had to have group yeah. therapy? <laughs> yeah. Fam, and, I don't even want to talk to people in the morning. I, I would have, yo. <laughs> it, was, it was wild. Like, I remember sitting next to this guy who was older, and apparently he did a lot of LSD and it like messed up his brain. So every morning that we would have the group therapy, like it would be his turn. He'd be like, yeah, I just got back from Hawaii last night. I had a really good time. Mind you, it's like, bro, you were in the same bunk as me. Yeah, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I think that like that allowed me to see that like, hey, we're all human, Yeah. you know? And I, I think that like we're all experiencing things and like we all got here and like we will be okay. Like I made friends during that time with, People you never would have known I would make friends with because I had just turned 18, so I had I hit the threshold. You're an adult I was now. no, I was I couldn't be with kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I was with all the the old heads. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I was the youngest one. And I remember making friends with this guy. His name was Jeff Nail, and he was like this older alcoholic in his 40s, like redhead, hmm. scruffy face, and like, you know, he. What was cool is like we ended up adding each other on Facebook. Hmm. And he's like married with kids now, you know? Wow. But I remember meeting him in a place where like, we all wanted to die, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that like, I actually never told anyone that. Wow. <laughs> but- um, Wow. So you, how long did you stay there? For about a week. You were there for about a week? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And did things get better? Like, did you start to feel like- um, at some point, like, did you start to feel better or did this kind of start to set your new normal? I think this became my new normal. So you were just high functioning with all of this. Yeah, high functioning. Mm -hmm. Wow. For a few years. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, it was, you know, I think this time in my life, I was going through a lot with my dad. He was just in and out of my life, very manipulative. You know, like I would end things with him and then he'd come back into my life and I'd get entangled with him again, you know, trying to save him, trying yeah. to, you know, like just wanting what we had when I was a kid, but it would never happen. He's totally different. His brain is rewired. Yeah. You know, he has now a few mental things going on and I just wanted him back so bad. And, you know, another revelation that I had was like, I feel like during this time, even I think like Bell Hooks talks about this, right? Where it's like, until you heal, you will always be looking to fill that void. Yep. And I feel like for years, up until like last month. <laughs> You've been trying to. I've been trying to fill the void. And it's like down to like the way that someone laughs, I'll mm -hmm. like latch on. Or like, yeah. you know, toxic behaviors. Yeah. You know, I it's so familiar to me. It's It feels so normal that you kind of gravitate towards it as kind of messed up as that might sound, it's just what you know. It's like, what I know, you yeah. know? And I think even going back to Portland, like it's so quiet that I'm not used to it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And just to sit and be normal and have like, you know, want to experience like normal love. <laughs> I don't think I've ever really experienced that. Cause there's probably just so much happening. Like I imagine, right? Like. 
that's happening. That's senior year, high school. This so naturally the next thing is probably like maybe you're going to college. I don't know. Like it's did you college and then being 20 living in LA. Yeah, like I don't even <laughs> Are you know. Kidding me? Like, there's like, so much lost. to get caught up in. It, I was so <laughs> caught to, up you to know? numb yourself. Like there's so I was, much. I was very caught up. Hmm. Um, <laughs> what does caught up mean? You know, I. Think you was outside. I was outside. Mm-hmm. I was outside five nights a week. Five nights a week. I was going out all the time, you know, and I also was a bud tender. I was just working random gigs. Jeez. I also. Um, Internships. I went to Cal Poly Pomona. I got mm. kicked out for low GPA. What you know? I worked at retail stores. So I tried. There's a part of me that like wanted to get my life together, but there's mm. a part of me that like also couldn't be alone with myself. You know, mm. because if I was alone with myself, I'd get antsy, and I didn't really like who I was, and I mm. couldn't really like look in the you mirror, face, face myself. Yeah. I didn't want to face myself. Who were you surrounded by during that time? Right. So clearly, like, there's a part of you that's hustling. Like, you're like, I do have to make money. I don't have another income. So you're doing that, but you're also on the flip side, like your underworld, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) You're out partying, so you're not trying to deal with all the things that are happening. No. So who do you surround yourself with? I don't even remember. I feel like Hmm. there's a trauma block around. Wow. Like, I think just, like, promoters, random women that were just as lost as me. You know, like, I feel like L.A. can really suck you in and spit you out. You know, I was also a bud tender mm. all around L.A., working, like, 14 hours a day for, and like, this is like bud lights, like Budweiser? No, bud tender, like, wheat. Oh, wheat. I was like, Come bud on, tender. LA. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, but then it wasn't until, like, I was, like, 23 that I was like, I want to work in music. So I got, like, an internship at Vibe, and then I learned about video production, and then I got an internship at Interscope, and I was in, like, the urban A&R. So I think a little by little, I started to get my together, and I just did the most between the ages of 17 to 23, but by the time I was, like, around 24, 25, I started to get washed really early. Mm. (laughs) You you were like, I was tired. This ain't it. And also, too, like, I was just in this perpetual cycle of, like, being broke. Like, I don't want to—I need to figure my out. Growing up, did you—was that always your relationship with money? Was it always, like, it wasn't there? I had a terrible relationship with money. Yeah, yeah. So, 24 happens, 25, you're starting to, like, want to figure out something different. You're very exhausted by the loop, clearly. Yes. What was a pivotal change? Was there a trip? Was there a conversation? What was, like, that catalyst that really ignited a different behavior? Who? My brothers. Hmm. So my mom, as I said, she got married. So I grew up an only child for 20 years. And um, she told me that she was pregnant with her first son, my brother Noah. Hmm. I think it was, like, around when he was three. I think I had, like overdosed maybe wow (laughs) so yeah i I did like dabble in drugs and um i think i had this like revelation that like i'll be damned Mm -hmm. if something were to happen to me or i turn into some sort of like degenerate and my brother would is ashamed of me or like i'm like the older sister who that's a loser that could never get her life together 
And I think that was the biggest epiphany for me. It's like, I don't want them to, to see I don't, me like I this. Can't, my parents have seen it. I can't let the, this kid see it. Wow. And that was the biggest thing for me was like, I need to get my together because I'm going to have a little brother that's going to grow up. And I just don't want him to see that. That is the biggest, like, I would be a, a sh so ashamed of myself. Yeah. And what if something happened to me? Yeah. You know? Wow. I mean, that is, a, that's yeah. enough to make you want to, like, change things. Yeah. Right? You were mentioning earlier about being able to go see where your family's mm -hmm. from and where your grandmother's from. Mm -hmm. And you got a different appreciation for the people that they are and that you are. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that trip. Like, what did you go for in the first place? And then what did you discover? Yeah, so I went around the time that I I had quit Interscope. Okay. And um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but mm. I knew that I wasn't gonna figure it out in the confines of <laughs> a corporation no. with some ugly fluorescent lighting. <laughs> I wasn't gonna, you know, packing FedEx boxes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember that's when Uber first came to Los Angeles. Yeah. And they were giving out incentives. And I had a Prius during this time. Oh, you had and, good gas mileage. Yeah, I had good gas mileage. <laughs> and I saw Uber was in town. And um, they were saying a driver can make upwards of $30 an hour. And we'll give you a $1,000 bonus if you sign up and do your first 50 rides. So I'm like, Interscope, I'm out. I'm about to be an Uber <laughs> yeah, driver. I'm about to go paid. I'm about to do Uber. You know what I mean? Work yeah. on my schedule. Right, like, right. I could have, like, put me on a billboard because, like, I was the <laughs> Uber was ambassador. I would put my friends on to Uber. Oh, so you had the referrals. I had, I was getting the referrals. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so then I told you when I met my Thea in, on Facebook yes. Messenger, um, she and I hit it off, and I was like, well, I have this Uber money, and, like, I'm going to go out there. Oh, and wow. I went. And it was such a life-changing trip. Mm. I actually went to both Guatemala and Nicaragua separate times. And both just gave me this, this newfound appreciation and love for my culture mm. that I've never experienced. You know, in elementary school and middle school, I was, I was really embarrassed because all the rich white kids, you know, had housekeepers that looked mm. like my grandma. You know what I mean? Oh, and wow. I think there was, like, this sense of shame that, like, yeah. I wouldn't really talk about my heritage or my culture like you know when my grandma would pick me up I'd be so embarrassed and like to run into the, the car because yeah. I didn't want anyone to know what were they getting picked up in BMWs, Mercedes, Mercedes. BMWs <laughs> Acura SUVs I'd go to their house it's like freaking huge in Encino in the hills you know and I didn't have that you yeah. know we lived in a very modest home that my mom worked really hard to pay for right. and provide me nice things but I always felt like really ashamed yeah so to freely be able to explore where my family had come from especially knowing that like my grandma came from this little mountain and made it to Los Angeles so I can live this dream and be here hmm. you know and I had a million dollars in my bank account a year and a half ago and I'm about to get more in that's crazy. Like, That's I love insane. it. I love being Guatemalan. I yeah. love being Nicaraguan. You know, I love being Central American. And I love the fact that, like, I'm a Central American founder and I have a different viewpoint than a lot of other founders yeah. that 
don't come from the same background that I do, you know? And I love the fact that, like, my background allows me to make hmm. other Central Americans feel seen, too. Yeah. And so going back to my experience in Guatemala, just, like, the richness of the culture, mm -hmm. the food, <laughs> the coffee, my cousins, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, they can freely get fireworks and just pop, you know, like, it's, <laughs> it's just, like, it's just so, you know, and then also, too, like, family, community, being in the back of the pickup truck, like, this, you yeah. know, we all go to a river. Like, I've never experienced that. And when I came back, to LA, I wanted to bring that with bring me. Bring that, yeah. Because you just did, never experienced something you know, like that. You're like, I don't want to leave this. Yeah, one, one million percent. Hmm. And I'm like, how can I bring wh what I feel back and create a community out here? Because yeah. I never really felt, like I said, I, I never really had Latino friends growing up, you know? And um, this is also the time of, you know, this is 2016 now, and it's Trump, yep. it's anti-Latino, yep immigration policy, oh, yeah. the wall, yep. you know? And so my experiences in Latin America combined with what's happening now in the TV screen and what I'm listening to every day, it was a mix of like pride and anger mm. that really fueled this next chapter of my life. So if, if you're feeling that, is your feeling that you want to do something about it? Yeah. Or, okay, so... What did you decide to do about it? So during this time, I was like attending a lot of protests. Mm -hmm. I was in like Facebook groups for women of color. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a lot of anger. I think like most of us do, right? Where it's yeah, like, it's okay to say that. Taught, yeah. <laughs> you're taught Thanksgiving was off. about, you know, you're making turkeys in elementary school with your hands and mm -hmm. painting it only to then pay $10,000 to attend a, a class in college and they tell you the real history of right. Thanksgiving. whole different history. You know what I mean? And then you go out into the real world and then you learn the, like, it's even more layered. Yep. You know, and so I was angry, yeah. <laughs> you know? I was yep. angry and I was upset. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I wasted so many years, like, being sh ashamed of myself oh, and yeah. my culture yep. that, like, when I came back, I was like, it's on. You were Ubering, like setting my little thing, like, like you know, trying to catch cop Uber rides to the protest. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And like catch them back. And then <laughs> that was kind of me. Like I didn't have a career during this time. I was just Uber driving and just yeah. trying to figure my life out. And I was renting a, a room in a house in Burbank, California. And I was still a hot mess, but I think that I was becoming a little bit more grounded. Mm -hmm. I was figuring it out. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I surrounded myself with a lot of like-minded black and brown women. Mm -hmm. And then one time <laughs> I came back from an Uber shift and it was like super late. Like I think like Uber had to like log me out because I was driving like you were 13 just driving. hours. Yeah, you were on. I was driving like 13 hours. They had to log on. you out. Yeah, they had to <laughs> log me out. And um, I go back home, I open my laptop and I randomly start Googling like Latino businesses to support. Mm. Uh, a list of Latina-owned brands. Like to go shop with or to donate to or... To go shop with. To shop with, okay. You know, like, I wanted to support, like, I everything I did during this time, like, I was supporting small businesses. I was, you know, I was going to the local coffee shops. I was, I was becoming very intentional... Oh, yeah. ...with where I put my money, mm -hmm. you know? So I came home, and I 
uh, opened up my laptop and yeah, I was doing some research and then I came across this article written by some white fool talking about how Latinos have, I think during this time, $1.7 trillion in annual spending power and this is how you can target them. And it was very really? like, yeah, it was like one of those, oh, like Nielsen, I don't know what, maybe it was Forbes, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's where I had my huge epiphany. Mm. And that night is when I made the Shop Latinx Instagram account. And I remember going back into the Facebook group of women of color, for women of color, and I said like, I have this idea. I wanna create this account during this time. It was like called Shop Latinx Biz. And if you have a brand or a small business, like I wanna promote it. Wow. And then that's kind of how it kicked off. When we return, Brittany gets in front of folks with the big bucks. What's up, Claim of Stories fam? If you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you've heard of Vistaprint, right? I mean, we've been doing a lot of incredible work together to inspire entrepreneurs of color. So we hope you're paying attention. Now, when it comes to printing things, and I mean just about anything for your business, whether it's stickers, t-shirts, tote bags, mugs, and even snapback hats, Vistaprint's got you. They print just about everything. So as you look for ways to help your small business stand out, think Vistaprint. The printabilities are endless at vistaprint.com. Hey, it's Bima. Welcome back to the Claim of Stories podcast. It's 2018, and the Shop Latinx Instagram page is growing like crazy. So much so, it's brought a lot of networking opportunities and community building. I feel like even then, up until now, like I was just the vessel. Like, you know, when like, you feel you're like you're the, steering you're the, the passionate. ship. Yeah, you're very passionate And you passionate don't know about it. where it's going, but yep. you have full faith that mm-hmm. you know it's going somewhere. And so people will tell you, like, why don't you get a real job? And you're like, I, bro, I'm holding, I'm, my this hands are I'm glued doing. to the ship. Yeah. I, I can't <laughs> go anywhere. This is what I'm on, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, and I remember during this time, you know, my mom was getting worried, like, why don't you get a job? Mm. You know, she'd have to cover rent sometimes. You know, I was on her cell phone plan, give me money for food. Yeah. And I was just like, I... Something about this, I can There's something about this that's really special, mom. And mm. we have the 1.7 and the fact that, like, one-third of us is going to be Latinx in the U.S. by 2030. You know what I mean? And I created something that this community had been looking for, but no one created. And the fact that like I made this Instagram account and within weeks I was getting thousands of followers and people were saying like, thank you so much for what you're doing. And I really used the first two years to relationship build. That's all I had. I had no money, you know, but like I would see someone Mm -hmm. performing, doing a poetry night and I'd go out there and I'd meet as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time where I was really surrounded by other incredible brown woman, mm-hmm. you know, that were doing stuff for their communities. Right. And I was just like on a high, like, <laughs> you know, and Shop Latinx became the bridge for me to meet to other meet people. people. Right. You know, it so I a way for you to easily self- engage. <laughs> yeah. Selfishly, like I I used it to make friends, you know, and actually some of my best friends I met through this founder journey of building Shop Latinx. So yeah, that was that was kind of the story of how it started. How was your anxiety? And your depression as you were in that place, did you find that you had less experiences with that and that you were feeling better? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I found my passion. That yeah. was great. 
Okay. However, I was still broke. And I was also, again, going back to my father wound, right? And my abandonment wound. I was trying to find love in all the wrong places, you know? And I was in this really toxic relationship with this guy who cheated on me and mm. kicked me out and threw all my stuff out of our apartment. Jeez. And, you know, all of this was happening while I was running the account. I had to pick up, you know, Uber wasn't enough. You know, now everyone's doing Uber and that's yeah. where they're like, gotcha, they yeah. got you stuck. Now, like, the money's getting yeah, tighter. Yeah, now the money, and... now I go from $30 an hour to, like, $9, $12 an hour, you know, waiting on rides. Yeah. You know, the bonuses go from 500 to now 45 and I have bills to pay, you know? Um, so I took up nanny jobs. Wow. And I think there was a point where I almost resented Shop Latinx and what I created because I'm here helping. on my mom's couch yep. helping people and I see all these connections and friendships that are being made. I see these like mercados that are now popping up and I see that like, you know, Shop Latinx is now being referenced in like a BuzzFeed article and all these brands are getting the recognition, which is amazing. But I, Brittany Chavez, am still broke. Yeah. I don't know what to do. And what I've realized in this life is that like, no one's going to do it for you. Hmm. If you really want it, you have to figure it out. Yeah. So That's what did what you I do did. to figure it out? For all two years, right? You're community building, not making money. No. You got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. How do you flip that switch? So... Two years later, now we're going into 2018, 2019. Okay. And I had learned about venture capital. How'd you learn about that? Through Twitter. Okay. I had learned about this woman. Her name's Arlen Hamilton. She mm. is the founder of Backstage Capital. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her story was so incredible. She went from being homeless to then being the general partner of her own fund, <laughs> investing in underrepresented founders. Right. So I learned about her story. I learned about what venture capital was. Mm -hmm. And on Eventbrite, there were all these like tech events for Silicon Valley. And I was just on the internet. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm an <laughs> internet kid, you know, I'm always researching. And yeah. it's like, if I don't have the money, then I got to research, you know? Yeah, and I mean, right? Like you got to figure it out. Like I got to figure it out because no one's going to do it for me. Like I've even down to like me taking my driving test. Like I've always just done it myself. Like mm. I always had to figure it out, you know, or else I would have been stuck. Yeah. And I never there. wanted to be stuck. I still saw, a, but regardless if I was out in the, like I always saw potential in myself. Yeah, that's the know? one thing. And it's, those two things can be happening simultaneously. Those two can <laughs> I can be a club rat and see potential in yeah. myself. Those, <laughs> those aren't mutually yeah. exclusive. They're not exclusive, right? You know, and so I learned about the world of VC. I learned about pitch decks hmm. and how to create a pitch deck. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the problem, you have the opportunity. And I always knew what the problem and the opportunity was. It just yeah. needed to be more refined. Yeah. And also, too, with this Instagram account, I saw the types of products that this hmm. Latina consumer gravitated to. Because mm -hmm. then I started to hyper-focus on her. Mm -hmm. And... I actually learn more, and I, I get into my first accelerator program. Okay, and accelerator is like a for young founders, entrepreneurs, it's, and it's young for all Yeah, like early stage. Early stage. So okay. accelerators are like an accelerated three to six month course. It's like getting a master's degree, but on your business. Okay. You know, so like your business is the case study. Right. So you're identifying like product market fit, what's mm -hmm. the problem, what's the solution, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, you're learning all these acronyms, 
you know, like CAC and ATV, LTV, you know what I mean? Like, what is this? You yeah. know, e-commerce, PDP, homepage, hero, like, you know, and all of it was so new to me, but this was the type of education that I've been craving since mm. I was a kid, wow. you know? So every day I'd go from, also to my Prius, it actually eventually got totaled. And so I, <laughs> <laughs> so I would backpack from Boyle Heights to downtown I think twice a week. Downtown LA. Downtown How LA. How far is that? And maybe like a good four or five miles. Yeah. Back yeah. and forth. And you're walking. Yeah. And I'm walking. I'm like walking with my Nike backpack and, you know, the same shoes because most of it got thrown out a few months back. And I was always at the front row. Oh, like, I'm like, I have something for Shop Latinx and it's my duty for this to pop off. Yep. You know what I mean? Because I want more friends. I yeah. want I want to put on these brands. And again, I'm just steering the ship. I don't know. Like, I think I was almost delusional, mm. too. Like, I talk about that with people. I find that founders, to a degree, have to be. You have to be, to some degree, delusional, delusional. in denial, <laughs> unable to take advice, to a certain degree, because you're on this path to try to do something that's theoretically impossible. That's never been done before. Right. And you are you have to think, like, for the most part, you're probably still surrounded by a lot of folks who aren't doing things like that. So you're trying to do something that other people aren't doing. Of course, everyone yeah. is going to be like, that is dumb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've been told that, you know. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I've never been told that. Everyone that I, I feel like... I. I used to pitch Uber passengers <laughs> I love and tell them to follow me. You were literally in the, in the vehicle pitching. Yeah, I'm in the vehicle. Like, you can't get over you to jump out my car. Like, <laughs> I need to take you to my destination. So you're going to hear what I'm talking about. Follow yeah. us. Yeah. I don't care if you're white, Asian. Like, you're going to follow shoplatinx.com, yeah. like, right now. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and I think during that time, I also created a database or a directory yeah. of, okay. of businesses but, you know, over time, even in, in these accelerator programs, what I came to realize, like, directories are, especially for e-commerce, they're obsolete. I don't go on a directory prior to shopping. No. I leverage the e-commerce marketplace or the platform to be my discovery channel when you click on the brand section or when I'm looking for products. Yes. You know what I mean? And so being in these accelerator programs, I've been in three, so, like, that's wow. the thing. I'm hungry for knowledge. I didn't even know I was capable of that, mm. you know? And I think, again, like, environment is everything yeah. and, the, and teaching style. And, you know, it's just, I love it. I love learning, yeah. <laughs> you know? So much so that, like, I promised myself to chill out for a little bit, just live <laughs> life, just yeah. smell the flowers, hug just, a tree, yeah. you know? And um, so, yeah, I, I would listen to podcasts. Yeah. Guy Raz is how I built this podcast. Yeah was my favorite podcast. And then a year later, I became a fellow and like met Guy Raz. And you met Guy Raz? Yeah, I did. <laughs> that was a huge thing for yeah. me. And then I ended up meeting Arlen and now she's one of my investors. She invested in Shop Latinx and I, through her, I learned about VC. And there was another one called um, The Pitch. It was produced okay. by Gimlet Media. Mm -hmm. And an investor, his name is Charles Hudson. Mm. He is the GP of Precursor, Precursor Ventures. Precursor Ventures, okay. I would listen to him all the time. And I remember one day folding laundry in this hot laundry facility in Boyle Heights with my tank top and my headphones, my cracked iPhone listening to the pitch. Like, damn, I can't wait till I I, I, he's going to invest in me one day. He's going to invest in me. Ooh. Mind you, I didn't have a marketplace up yet. Mm -hmm. And um, he just texted me earlier today. He's my investor. 
Okay, so let's, well, let's... I'm a crazy manifester. I'm a crazy manifester. Let's go back. Yeah. Okay, because that's, that's crazy. I, my life is crazy. Yeah, but it, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about this fundraising stuff, right? Like, we hear about it, but it's not as often as you meet people that successfully do it. Mm-hmm. The way I'm guessing it would be framed is at that stage, you're an MVP. You have yes. a... Yeah. You have a minimal viable, viable product. product. Mm-hmm. And you have proof of concept. You got yes. followers, you got engagement, you got active community. And you, see it. you know, you can see it. So yeah. you take this knowledge, you hear these VC, you know, about these VCs, and take me into the first big VC check. Who was it and how in the world did you get in front of them? It was Charles. It was Charles. How'd you get in front of him? So there is a firm called Debut Capital. It's ran by uh, Pilar and Bobak, and they had been following my journey. They saw that I was in this accelerator program called Techstars, and Pilar is an Afro-Latina. And she was just like, this is the first Latinx platform where I really feel seen, and I believe in you as a founder, and we want an angel invest. So they cut me a 20K check. And they are one of the most hands-on investors I've had. Mm. Through them, they introduced me to Charles. <laughs> so I get on a call with Charles. Mm-hmm. And I was really nervous. And Charles, like when you meet him, he's very like, okay. You know what I mean? He's, he's the nicest, nicest guy, nice. but he, he you can't it's all read in him. his head. Yeah. You know, and this was in late 2020 during the pandemic and mm-hmm. during the holiday. Oh. I'm on EBT. I'm on food stamps, I'm on unemployment. I have no money in my bank account. I had to sublet my apartment. Mm. I was staying on a friend's couch in West Covina. And my stomach was in knots during this fundraising process because I needed this money. And if I didn't didn't get the money, if it was gonna take me a long time, I I would have to get a job. And I only have internships and Uber driver under my belt. Yeah, you don't have work experience. I don't have any work experience. almost 30 years old, zero work experience. Am I going to be a bud tender again? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. So I just remember like, you know, and what's crazy is I was able to close a round during this weird time in America, in the world, within three and a half months. Three and a half months? And what was this round? Like, And rounds a total amount of money you wanted to raise. The million dollar pre-seed. You closed a million dollars never having raised money before in three months. Mm -hmm. And I met around no more than like 35 investors. But I feel like when I get feedback, like I I pride myself on being coachable. Mm. You know what I mean? Like if you give me feedback, I'm going to take that to heart so I can do better. And that's so that I can get what I want. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And obviously I there's a level of discernment that I have to have. However, but if you're an investor, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to listen to you, the investor. Right, because if you're an investor, I should be receiving your feedback. If if your feedback isn't good, you wouldn't be an investor in the first place. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) so help me. And so every conversation that I had during this period, like I was always iterating, working Mm, on my deck, you know, granted, looking back, I was a little bit thirsty. And it, (laughs) you know, like, what do you mean? Just like I felt like I made them feel like like please invest like mm. please like please like even Versus for my demeanor like, no, to like it's, this like, I'm no, good this, this is a mutual partnership yeah. you know what I mean it's not like you're giving me free money I'm mm. giving a percentage of my company that's yes. going to be valued at a billion dollars yes. one day so you sh- 
You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> right. You're welcome, yeah. actually. Yeah. And this next round, that's how I'm going to go. Mm. You know, like my demeanor, I'm more poised. Different. I'm more confident. Yeah. I know what I'm talking about before, you know, I was still, I was you my first like time. Were, yeah. So 35, but how many before did you feel like before you got into a rhythm? Maybe about like the 10th, mm -hmm. but also too, after a while, I came to realize that it was mostly the investors of color. Hmm. who, and most of my investors, they're all mostly Black and Latinx. And that wasn't intentional. But that's but who after, ended up gravitating. I, yeah, at first. But then after a while, it became intentional because those are the ones that understand the power of this Latinx market. Mm. You know what I mean? These are the ones that are impassioned by what I'm building. Mm -hmm. These are the ones that don't have founder bias when they look at me and they see that I have this it factor and yeah. I don't have to show them, you know, I don't have to prove to <laughs> I them. I have to prove it to them. You know what I mean? And they're betting on me. Hmm. You know, when an investor first invests in a company at my stage, they're betting on the founder. Yeah, they're betting on you. You know what I mean? They believe in you. Yeah, and there were a lot of investors that were white that were asking me questions like, I'm damn near giving you, you should be paying me for this call right. because I'm giving you, you don't understand <laughs> that your investing thesis, if it doesn't include Latinx, you're doing your, it yourself, your Yeah, firm, you're missing out on a whole marketplace. Your LP is a whole disservice, hmm. you know what I mean? By placing us as secondary, you know what I mean? And that's why all these corporations that try to just do something last minute for Latinx Heritage Month and slap tacos on a t-shirt, oh you know, they think that's doing something for the community or that's making an impact when it's not, it's lazy. Mm -hmm. You know, and I yeah. think with, with Shop Latinx, you know, I was able to convey that like, hey, we're still early stage, but this is my vision. I want Shop Latinx to be a platform where we amplify and showcase the best products made by emerging Latinx designers. You know what I mean? And these products are one of the kind and like they fit this Latina's lifestyle, hmm. you know, in the beauty, accessories, home, and fashion categories. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, and this is how, you know, and it, here's what I know, here's what I don't know. Yeah. You know, I know that, these are the values of this Latina consumer. Yep. And you can't just earn her trust hmm. overnight. It takes time. You know what I mean? And y'all are lucky that I've been putting in relationships and work into these for years. for years. Because that's all I had. I had no money. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I would show up for people authentically. Yeah. And so when even now, like I'm having meetings with investors now and they're like, you know, I'm Target and I want to build a shop Latinx tomorrow. I'm like, good luck good because luck. <laughs> this is a human to human right. company. It's you still can't, relationship based. It's, you can't it's just a human buy to in. human. Yeah. You know, good luck trying to cultivate the relationships with these brand owners that I've had. Like, genuinely, try yeah. it. Please. They I don't mean, trust I need you. a little kick in my yeah, ass. They don't trust them, you know is what, what I mean, mean <laughs> right? Like, they, they don't trust them the way that they would no. trust you. And it, it's just and a whole I'm, different I'm the value of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm the differentiator. Right. And I think over time, I've owned that more. Mm. Did it feel weird before? Did you feel like you were taking the light off of what you wanted to do because you were like, I'm the person, but in fact, you kind of have to be that person. I still struggle with it. Being in the front of it. Like, I don't even know if I'll watch this interview. <laughs> I'm so nervous. Like, yeah. I, it just... You know, and, but it's not necessary. Like, I don't need to be the face of this company. If anything, I, I think that, like, giving the platform to these up-and-coming designers, mm -hmm. creatives, um, you know, my team, all of that. But, like, on the back end, like, I want to be doing stuff like this. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it, yes, I take it. I will watch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, like, I want to be 
a boss. I want to be yes. a bossy girl. Yes. You know, and I want to I want to be a representation for women, Central American specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, and for my mom. Yeah. My, for my siblings. But I think owning my power is something yes. that I've experienced recently. You know, like no one can think how I think. No one can think how you think. And that's what makes us so unique and right. powerful. Right. You know, like no one has the vision that I have for this company. And my vision is so dope. Hmm. And I see it. Like I see where Shop Latinx is going to be in a few years. And it overwhelms me. <laughs> yeah, It feels like the most. Feel it. Like I'm on drug, the yeah. best drug, yeah. the best mushroom experience. Yeah. When I think about Shop X, I'm so overwhelmed at like how it's going to impact people, how it's going to bring my people together, yep. you know, how it's going to amplify, you know, Latinx founders and commerce and business owners, you know, like it just gives me chills. And the fact that like I, I've worked so hard to be in this position where like I'm the conductor, hmm. you know. It feels really good, yeah. you know, and it feels good to like wake up and, and get in these stand-up calls with my team, and it's all like brown faces, <laughs> and they're so impassioned by what we're doing. Right. And when I have these like one-on-ones with them, they're like, I just, I think you're, Exciting you know, like this. I'm excited. I love the mission. It's just great. Life is great. I have to imagine a lot of folks have come from previous work experiences, and the reason I'm curious is because you know. While you did do internships, you didn't have a lot of experience in environments that they might have been in. Does the conversation ever come up about like how different it is working in the environment with you because it is so diverse versus yes, like all the time? You know, because my work experience, you know, my corporate experience was very much like I was always one of the few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. No, I think that's been a huge value. At like, I feel like that's why when I every time we put out a JD for a role, we have so many people applying. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not sure what they're saying outside of <laughs> out, out there, but yeah. it seems like, you know, when I talk to my team, that's something that they're really grateful for. And I see their tweets and I see them on social saying, like, I love my job or like the best boss, you know, and it makes me feel good because, yeah. again, I didn't have those types of role models. I, you know, from my school teachers to my bosses, mind you, yeah, my bosses at the weed shop don't care about leadership. They mm-hmm. want me to lay away an, yeah, an eighth. Right. <laughs> you yeah, know? Like, it is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Skywalker OG. You know, like, <laughs> take that. And, like, so I was never really equipped with the tools. But, again, I think it's my ability to make people feel seen and yeah. heard and valued. Or, like, after a meeting, I'm like, so what are your thoughts? Right. You know, how do you feel? Or mm. I'll, I'll call, you know— Something at one of my internships is like they never, you know, it's a bunch of old heads talking, you know, and talking about this consumer and I'm them and I'm sitting there like, hey, hi, but I'm too, <laughs> but you don't cultivate an environment for me to want to raise my hand Be a part and, of it or feel comfortable like yeah, you Yeah. And so now it's like I have a couple of interns and it's like, Ashley, what do you think about this? Well, I don't know. We'll dive into it a little bit. Like, what yeah. are your thoughts? You know what I mean? And it just feels really good. Wow. It feels really good. I love being gassed up, but I also love getting feedback from my team. Like, yeah. what can I do better? It's important because, right, in your role, you're like, I don't need to hear great news every day. I need to know how we can improve. improve. I need to know what we're missing. I need to know where my blind spots are. Right. Like, right? you know, asking them, if Shop Latinx could make any hire right now, what do you think we need? Hmm. You know? And, like, to hear it, I'm like, damn, well, I don't have the money for that, but thanks yeah. for answering. Thanks, thanks for answering. Thanks for playing. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out the plan. Um, <laughs> Take me back real quick a moment. I'm curious about 
the Charles Hudson conversation. And so when did you know he was going to invest and how much did he end up investing in Shop Latinx? So in total, he's invested 600000 Oh, my goodness. I'm so, I'm just, I can't believe it. You know, yeah. like, or sometimes he'll like, we talk every other week hmm. and I met him in person. It's like, ah, like, I just can't <laughs> believe that he's, like, I manifested him into my life. Like, yeah. I remember where I was folding my laundry, listening to him. Mm-hmm. And then I got to be in a meeting face-to-face with him. And um, it took about, like, two months for him to finally say, I'm in, send over wow. the safe and the wire instructions. And then an additional few weeks for that money to get in my account. And mind you, like I said, you know, I was eating good during the pandemic because I had my little EBT card. Mm-hmm. And then, but to see the business bank account go from like <laughs> a few hundred dollars to then all this, now all the safes are, you know, all in. this money's coming in and I'm up to a million dollars. I mean, it was a huge blessing. Yeah. I think over time, there were a lot of lessons learned from that because, you know, when you get that money, it's not like you're absolved of financial traumas. If anything, mm. it's going to reveal a lot of financial trauma that, you know, was probably in your subconscious. It will come to consciousness. Un- unpack that a little bit for me because I, I kind of understand what you're saying, but I want to make sure I'm I'm clear on it. Okay, so It's like- sort of like you have had a previous experience with money. And just because you got this new money doesn't mean that those behaviors have changed. Exactly. Like, for example, I had like a manic episode the day that we announced the million dollar raise. Because also, too, you know, I felt like, oh, this is a huge responsibility. And now it's out. Now it's real. Now everyone knows. Everyone's congratulating me. And I remember I was like in fetal position in my bed sobbing. Like, I just want to die yeah it was so weird like it was just because of the weight of it the weight of it the responsibility money you know money just money you know like yeah just i never had that much you know and then even i never you know there was a thing where like i wouldn't look at the bank account you know Mm -hmm. like i couldn't come face to face with money Mm -hmm. you know did you feel like while you clearly knew you needed it, did you have any feelings of, like, unworthiness towards yes, it? Yes, one million percent. Mm. I didn't feel worthy. Hmm. Like, who am I? You know, I'm just... It's a girl from the Valley. I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't go to Stanford. Mm. And I have a million dollars. Yeah. Like, I wanted it, and I worked my ass off to get here. But now you... But now it's real. It's real. And now it's in my account. Hmm. And now... I, there's all these expectations on me. Yeah. Which, mind you, my investors are amazing. They know this is a long game. Yeah. And they see the work that I put in. Mm-hmm. You know? But it also is like, it's got to be a signal to you, too, of like, what I'm championing is valuable. And it's, now it's got a price associated to it. It has right? an actual valuation yeah. associated, <laughs> associated to the company. Right. You know what I mean? It's my duty to make sure that like Shop Onyx is well funded, yeah. that we reach certain milestones, certain KPIs, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That I, I submit um, investor updates on the regular. You know, there's so much responsibility now. And I went from, you know, I think it's really hard when you monetize a passion. Yeah. And I don't, that is very tricky. We spoke a little bit about that with a contemporary artist out of Seattle really? named uh, Christina Martinez. And oh, she, she's amazing. You know, she's amazing. And, 
she spoke a little bit about how she wished someone would have told her what it would be like to be an artist that also depends on their work as compensation. Mm. She's like, she still enjoys what she does, but it also introduces a different ingredient into the relationship, right? Because it's no longer just for fun. Mm -hmm. Now it's also for fun and I got to produce, mm -hmm. right? And it adds like, I don't know where your anxiety sits, mine sits here and it just sits there. <laughs> it sits here. You know, me moving up here from LA a year and a half ago, I think this is the first time in my life where my nervous system has been like regulated. Mm. But yeah, like even from announcing that $1 million raise to where I am now, it took a lot of therapy. Mm. You know, now I'm in bi-weekly therapy. Yeah. And um, I'm so grateful for the revelations. F any easy dude. And I easy. feel like when you're, when you're an entrepreneur, when you're a founder, when you're dealing with money, especially as a person of color from a hard background, mm -hmm. you know, navigating difficult experiences at an early age, it can be a really windy road. Yeah, for sure. But I think for me, I would rather stay on this road, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and see what the finish line looks like and get to that finish line instead of hopping off. And doing anything else. And then wondering like, what could well, what if I can't do that? I can't live like that. You I got to experience it myself. And if I f up, fine, I'll eat it. That's you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, that's a decision you get to make. It. And, yeah. and now, and, and that is a part, that's what being a sovereign person looks like. And mm. I feel like I'm on that path to be a sovereign human yeah. and make decisions for myself. But before I can really do that, I need to learn how to trust myself. Mm -hmm. You know, and that and that's what I'm working on right now. It's just... I want to trust, trust myself that I can make good decisions, but even taking that a step back, it's like, you know, therapy and healing isn't just sitting cross-legged. Yeah. And, or, you know what <laughs> I mean? It's doing and, the and, work. It's showing up. It's having the conversations. So it's doing it when you don't want to, but it is hard. You've inspired a, a question <laughs> I want to ask okay. you. Um, the work is hard. You know, it's hard. You know, as I think back through our conversation, yeah. you know, you, you have come from a very difficult past um, yeah. and, and you've had these feelings of loneliness and unworthy and, and abandoned and you've slowly started to figure out how do you come into your own and something you're still working on but I, I guess my question for you would be is as you've been able to see where you've been able to get to just at this point there's got to be other folks going through that there's got to be other kids going through that there's younger yous, there's your younger siblings. What advice would you give to them as they're trying to come to a place of understanding of who they are on their journey? Well, one, before I give them any advice, I'd be like, congratulations <laughs> <laughs> for embarking on this path. Mm. You should be so proud of yourself. Because mm. it is a step. It's a huge step. We weren't taught how to do this, some words of advice would just be to, as cliche as it is, it's trust the process, hmm. you know? Trust that you are protected and that whatever you're sitting in, you'll get out of it. 
and the outcome is going to be greater than you could ever imagine. That was Brittany Chavez, an empath that wants to forge a path for women who look like her. Find out more about Brittany and get access to all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to rate and review us. Stay up to date with our latest news following us on Instagram at Stories, or you can reach out with a message at hello at ClaimaStories.com. Our show this week is produced by BJ Fragozo, Pervy Patel, Natalie Yazzie, Jericho Trim, and the team over at DB Podcasts. Original music provided by Adrian Anaya and vocals provided by Rosella. Special thanks to Jordan Dinwiddie, Cena Clark, Clint Blaine, and Damian Mitchell. I'm Bima, and you've been listening to the Claim of Stories podcast, powered by Vista. <laughs> <laughs>